0: 13. We'll start reading in verse 8 down through verse 10. Uh, before we dive into reading the passage, I just want to give us two uh, alerts uh, because it's very easy to get sidetracked on the wrong track as we're reading this passage of Scripture. The, the first thing he's going to say is, don't owe anybody anything. In fact, a, a, a literal translation of the Greek would be, owe nobody Nothing. Uh, is is the idea. And uh, a lot of people have looked at that and said, well, that's good, sound financial advice. Uh, avoid debt like the plague. By the way, that is good, <laughs> sound financial advice. Please avoid debt like the plague. Uh, but have looked at that as, as if it were a, a principle of scripture that you should never go into debt, uh, should not borrow money to buy a house or a car or, or to finance an education, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and uh, have sort of built on that the idea of the anathema of debt. Um, in point of fact, this isn't talking about uh, finances. Um, it is certainly true as a matter of biblical principles that we should not be indebted to people to the point that our, our lives are under their control. Um, uh, the Bible says that the borrower is the slave of the lender. And what that means is when you borrow money from somebody, they get a certain amount of power over you. And the more you borrow, the more power they have. Um, there, there are whole companies that know this. They send you a credit card, pre-approved. How could they pre-approve it. They don't know a thing about you except that if you sign on and activate the card, <laughs> they got you hooked. And so they, 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 they give you the card and you, and you charge it up and you're having a great time in life and then you max out the card. What are we going to do? Well, the company, of course, cares about you. And because you've maxed out your card, they send you a little booklet with how to structure your personal finances and get out of debt, right? They send you little helpful hints on how to pay off your credit card debt or they send you another credit card and you max that one out and you keep maxing them out all, all the time and before you know it you're, you're way in over your head and, and um, you don't know how you're going to pay off the minimum payment much less ever get ahead of the debt and you start to get cranky you start to yell at the kids and fight with your wife and And things just get very brittle and very hard. And that's what debt will do to you. And so, please, avoid the Um, debt. You know, I used to be able to give you really good advice on how to structure your personal finances. uh, But that was like 40 years ago. And now that I've gone 40 years of applying my principles, uh, you need to talk to somebody else. But, but I really, I, I honestly know some people in the church who, who could give you some real good advice and, and guidance on how to get out of debt and how to structure your finances so that you're not uh, going into debt and how to plan for retirement and those kinds of things. Um, and uh, so, if, if that is the need that you have, if that's really the sermon you wanted this morning, uh, talk to me about it. I'll, I'll point you to somebody else. Uh, but uh, that, that, that word there says, you know, don't owe anybody anything. It's not really talking about money. Because what he's just gotten through talking about, is, as we uh, look at um, what we saw last week, he says, if, if there's taxes due, pay the taxes. Well, that sounds like money, but that's an obligation imposed on you. I mean, maybe you went to the government and said, I would like to, to um, uh, be indebted to you. Would you please tax me every year? Uh, uh, you know, maybe you did that. <laughs> uh, revenue to whom? Revenue. But then it says, respect to whom? Respect, honor to Honor. In other words, it's saying that the debt and the obligation that, is, that has been imposed upon you by uh, the nature of society and the government and so forth, and, and th- those kinds of obligations don't make them outstanding debts. Uh, don't have debt uh, of this kind, of, of interpersonal relationship kind of debt. Don't have that hanging over your head. And so uh, the first thing I, I want to alert us to is uh, let's not think that we're talking about money just because the word debt is used here or the idea of obligation is used here. He's really talking about something quite different, not financially, but in terms of relationships. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, in, in the second part of that verse, he's going to say, well, love fulfills the law. You know, and we think, well, that, that's really cool, you know. Love fulfills the law, that, that really bad law thing that is legalistic religion. We can get rid of all that. All we need is love. Ya yeah, da, da 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 yeah. And you see, I grew up I grew up uh, uh, in the '60s, basically, and um, uh, you know, my generation was a generation that thought they had discovered love and uh, went around and said, "All we need is love, yada yeah, da da da. And uh, um, you know we don't need all this, this heavy burden of, of rules and regulations. We need love, love, love. You know and it sounded like a great thing, but think about it. The people my age. Course, most of the people my age right now are retired, and I'm not bitter about it. But but the thing is, the people my age who had all this, you know, love, free love, you know, all, all we need to do is love each other. They're the folks who trained the people who are in of the in, in charge of the universities today. And the people in the charge of the universities today, if they believe in love, it's their love and not yours. And and basically, I think you can trace the kind of, of dictatorial. Um, a thought control that goes on in our society today to the idea of we don't have any rules and regulations. We just love the way we want to love. And, oh, by the way, I don't want to love you. You think the wrong things. You say the wrong things. You're not a part of my group. And so we, 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 we kick you out. Is, is, you're, you're tracking with me on this one because I'm not going to belabor the point. But, but the, the, the problem is when you think that love can be separated from God's commandments, you're making a misstep. When you, when you think that, that uh, love is just something that we generate within ourselves, we all know what it is, and we don't really need God to tell us what love is, that's when we start to miss out on what love really is. You'll notice the examples that Paul's going to use, and we'll read this in just a second. He says, uh, when you look at the commandments, and then he cites several examples, don't, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, you know, those kinds of things. All of those commandments come from the second half of the Ten Commandments. Uh, You do know that uh, even in Bible times, people made a a distinction between the first half of the Ten Commandments and the second half of the Ten Commandments. The first half had to do with um, uh, our relationship with God, Um, you know have no other gods before me, no graven image, don't take my name in vain, keep the Sabbath day holy. Those, those kinds of things had to do with how you relate to God. And then the other half of the Ten Commandments had to do with how you relate to other people. Uh, don't don't uh, murder, don't commit adultery, lie, uh, steal, and, and, uh, and covet. Those have to do with relationships with others. You remember that uh, when uh, people would come to Jesus and they'd say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment that, that I need to pay attention to? Sometimes Jesus would answer the question directly, and other times uh, he would ask the other person to answer the question, and they would get it right, and he would tell them. But basically the answer was this. What's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is this, fra- found in the Shema, uh, the uh, sort of like the, um, the creed of, of, of Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's the first commandment, and the second one is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when the rabbis, and and, and Jesus sanctioned this, when you thought about the commandments and how you prioritize them, there was the love for God, and there was the love for your fellow man, and they had to be put together. And kept together. So when Paul talks about love fulfilling the law, he's not saying, well, you know, if you just love people, as a result of that, um, uh, you don't need to bother about that God thing. You're fulfilling the law. If you just, you know, have lovey-dovey feelings for other people, uh, then you don't need to worry about worship or sacrifice or faith or or any of those kinds of things because you're fulfilling the law of love. No, in point of fact, Paul says that fulfills that second half when you love one another. You need to love God and to fulfill that second half of loving one another, it, love is the key for that because, after all, love doesn't do any wrong to people, and that's what the law is all about, okay? So, those, those two things, it's not about money, and secondly, it's not about getting rid of the law. It's not about getting ru- rid of God's sovereignty in our lives. Got that? Thank you. The choir gets it, so we can move on. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, let's look at uh, Romans chapter 13. We'll read verses 8 through 10. And gracious Father in heaven, we just want to pause and say how much we love you. We love you because you're eminently worthy of all praise and adoration, and you're worthy of being loved. We love you, Father, because you have sent your love to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and loved us to the point of his sacrificial death for us. We love you, Father, because you did not leave us in our death and our debility. You did not leave us in the darkness. You did not leave us in our sin. But, Father, you came to us to enfold us, embrace us, and, and grab hold of us and lift us up into the kingdom of Jesus. Father, we love you because your love indeed has no limits, and your love has never seen a situation in our lives that it could not conquer. Father, we love you because your love for us is perfect. And we do pray that as you have loved us, your Holy Spirit would teach us to love others, would teach us to extend that same kind of limitless boundless creative embracing love that others would get a glimpse of your love for us as we love them and getting a glimpse of your love would see you in our lives exalted lifted up father that because you have loved us and moved us to love others you would be glorified and father we thank and praise you for that in jesus name amen So I was listening to a, might have been a podcast, I don't know, but anyway, it was on the internet, and uh, this lady was talking who was a, um, or is, an expert in early childhood parenting and education, those kinds of things. And she takes um, uh, questions and letters from her listeners and subscribers, and she answers them. And so the, the, the... letter that she was answering had had come in, and uh, it was a young mother, and she said, I have a preschooler, you know, four or five years old, and lately, whenever I tell him what he needs to do, he talks back to me. I'll say things like, you need to go clean your room now, and he'll say to me, you're not the boss of me. What should I do? And this psychologist lady, I guess she's a psychologist, she she says, well, you have to understand that he needs his space and he needs to be able to identify his own will and learn to, to express his own sense of identity. So what you should say when your child says to you, you're not the boss of me, then what you should say is something like, I'm sorry. Did that come across as if I was trying to tell you what to do? I didn't mean to do that. Can you forgive me? It's just that your room needs to be cleaned, and I was wondering if maybe you would do it now. Maybe you could do it now. And you know what the preschooler's going to say? No! I thought that was the silliest vice at all. If, you're, if your preschooler ever says to you, you're not the boss of me, what you say is, you're right, I'm not your boss. I'm your father, and that's worse. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm thinking of all kinds of things that are unbecoming, but, but, you know, but, but, but essentially the task of parenting a young person in your house at preschool and then up into the childhood ages, the task is to teach that child obedience to authority and the ability to submit to a will not their own. Now, I understand about abusive parents. I'm not talking about that situation. I'm not talking about where parents have an agenda of of sort of uh, uh, asserting themselves for the sake of a power trip. I'm talking about loving parents trying to do the right thing who care about their kids and want to see it work out okay. And so uh, the task of the parent is to teach the child the ability to obey authority and submit to a will not their own. Now, here's why that is so important. You teach a child the ability to submit to authority outside of themselves, usually the parent. And then when they know how to submit to an authority outside of themselves, then they will know how to to submit to an authority inside themselves. First of all, the conscience, and most importantly, the presence of the Holy Spirit if they accept Christ as Lord and Savior. See, when you're teaching... Getting the, the, the room clean isn't the problem. I mean, it, in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter if the room is clean or not. Trust me. I don't think I ever saw a clean room in my boys' uh, bedrooms. Uh, you know, I don't think I've ever seen that. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's not true. I just said that for humor value. Am I off the hook? Thank you. Okay. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if the room is clean What matters is that the child has a respect for the authority of the mother and the father and knows that there's a will outside of their whim and desire to which they need to submit so that one day they'll have the skills inside of themselves to submit to the will of their Father in heaven and the working of the Holy Spirit within. So that's that's the key thing. Now the reason I bring that up is that we are all nothing but preschoolers who got bigger. I remind you of that. That's all we are. And when God comes to us and he says, you know, I think you need to... Love other people. I think you need to love other people because that is an obligation, that is a debt that you have to that person. You owe it to them to love them. Usually, what we say to God in so many words is, You're not the boss of me. That's how you know there's something called original sin. Our first parents, that's that's what they did with the tree in the garden. God said, You can eat any tree you want but the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life you can't eat of those trees and essentially adam and eve said to god you're not my boss i can do whatever i want to do and that's original sin and we still live with that and we still we still struggle with that we turn to god and say you know you're not my boss god because there are limits See, God, you don't understand who that other person is and what they have done and the whole history of how they have related to me in the past. God, you don't understand the situation that if I give in to that person today, they are just going to run roughshod over me for the rest of my life. God, you don't understand how hurt I am. God, you don't understand how hard it is for me to forgive that person. On and on it goes. We, we tell God why he's wrong to, to um, instruct us to love other people as an obligation, and all we're saying is, God, you're not the boss of me. And I want you to know God is not your boss. God is the one who created you. God God literally is the one who brought you into being and can take you out. (laughs) God is the one who is sovereign over all the universe. God is the one who is infinite, holy, and good. God is the one whose wisdom knows no bounds and no limits. God is the one who is able to know all things at all times uh, at the same time. God is the one whose, whose wisdom and whose um, uh, will for us is absolutely perfect. God is the one, the only one you know, who 100% all the time is for you and your welfare in Jesus Christ. God is not just your boss. He's much, much more. He is sovereign over your life. In fact, he is the master over your life. I love the, the Greek word for master, by the way. It's despot. God is the despot over your life, and aren't you glad he is? And so we turn to God and we say, well, God, you know, you're not my boss. I, I don't want to go that far. That's what Peter said. You remember uh, Peter went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I, I, I get this forgiveness thing, but um, aren't there limits to it? I mean, really, aren't there limits? I mean, after all, how, long, how many times do I really have to give my brother? Uh, maybe seven would be good. Seven seems like a, like a spiritual number or something, a number of perfecting me. Maybe seven times is enough. And all Peter was saying is, Jesus, aren't there limits? Isn't there a point at which you are no longer boss here? Isn't there a, a kick-out moment when, when your sovereignty is no longer applying to my life and now I get to do what I want because, after all, I tried, I tried? Isn't it seven times enough? And Jesus said, well, in point of fact, no. There are actually no limits to God's claim on your life. And when he tells you to forgive and to, to, in our context, to love, um, there really is no limit to that. There really is no limit to that. You see, we are called to give to others what God has freely given to us. We are called to give to others what God has freely given to us. That's why he says, oh, no man, anything don't owe nobody nothing except to love one another. Because if you love another person, you fulfill the law. Now, interestingly, in the Greek text, when he says, if you love another, um, th- well, this will surprise you. There are two Greek words for other <laughs> uh, that, that are translated other. Uh, the one word, alas, means someone who is other than you are, but they're just like you. They're part of your club, they're part of your family, they're part of your group, they sound like you, they speak your language, everything's fine. They they are just like you. That's the word alas, and uh, that's not the word here. Because there's another word in Greek for other, and it means someone who is other than you are, and they are different. They are not like you. That's the word heteros. You know, we get a lot of English words out of that. And so here it says, when you love a heteros, when you love someone who is not like you, In other words, when you love someone that's a little bit hard to love, when you love someone the way God has loved you because, believe it or not, you are a little bit hard to love, that's when you're fulfilling the law. That's when you're doing what God wants you to do. You see, we are called to give to others what God has freely given to us. That's why before we got to Romans 13, we did Romans 12. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you by the mercies of God. So we read Romans chapters 1 through 11. And there we saw the mercy of God that's poured out upon us, that though we are all sinners, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. doesn't matter if you're the rank pagan, if you're a religious person, if you're a moral person. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin, the result of that sin is death. That's what we deserve. But God gave us eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's appropriated by faith, not by works and not by our merit and not by being good, but simply by accepting the free gift of God of his salvation to us. His son dying in our place, paying the debt that we owed, the debt of obedience that we owed to God, could never pay. Jesus paid it for us and what mercy God has poured into our lives we are to give freely to others we are to give them mercy as well so that they would see something of the power of God's kingdom in our own lives as well and so Paul says don't owe anybody anything except you have this obligation you owe it to others you owe it to them that you would love them even if they're different even if they're not like you you owe it to them because all the commandments, and then and then he says, and those commandments particularly that have to do with our relationship with others, all those commandments, about you don't don't commit adultery, and you don't kill, and you don't steal, and you don't covet things. He says all of that's wrapped up in just just one phrase: you got to love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor, you won't do him any wrong, and that's how you fulfill the law. Love doesn't do any wrong. So 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 that's fulfilling the law. Now, um, yeah. You know, Our temptation is to say, well, we don't really care much about fulfilling the law. The law, after all, was legalistic religion. That was all those things that the Pharisees did in order to try to make God love them. You know, we we all get that. But Paul, you remember, back in Romans 7, Paul says, look, the law of God is good. Why did God give the law? He gave the law so that we would know what makes God happy. We would know what glorifies God we would know what actions in our lives would reflect the holiness and the righteousness of God. God gave us the law so that we could reflect his character in our lives so that we could look a little bit like our Father in heaven. That's why God gave the law. Do you know what an act of grace it is that God gave us the law? He, an act of grace that he said, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to give you, here's the way, here's the path. Here, Literally, here's the Torah by which you may walk into being a little bit more like me. And so God gave us the law, and Jesus said, um, he said, you know, that second commandment, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? you got to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul repeats it here. He says all that's summed up into in, in love your neighbor as yourself. And it's not summed up so that now we can ignore the law, as we said earlier. It's just so that we might fulfill the law and we might look a little bit more like our Father in heaven. You know, maybe I can illustrate it this way, and, and uh, Randy talked about this a few weeks ago, and it bears repeating, but um, uh, Jesus once told the parable about a king, and, uh, uh, or the master, and a, uh, a man evidently quite wealthy because uh, he called in his, uh, his servants because he was going over the books, and he was going to settle accounts with his servants. And what he found out was that he had a servant who owed him 10,000 talents. Um, I did some math on that. It's roughly $6 million, but that's, um, you know, 30 A.D. dollars. Uh, you know, I don't know. But, um, uh, thir- and, you know, 10,000 talents, some people say $10 million. Uh, I like to say a bazillion, zillion dollars. It's a debt you can't pay off. By the way, look how rich the master is. <laughs> this guy stole $6 million from him and is so small the master didn't even notice. That's how rich the master is, you know. So. But anyway, he goes to the guy. And he calls him and he says, you know, you owe me $6 million. And the servant says, don't worry, I'm good for it. <laughs> he says, I'm going to pay it off. Just be patient. I'm going to pay it off. And you're, you're thinking exactly what the master's thinking. Uh-huh. Sure. Sure. You know, what, what I really ought to do is I, I ought to be kicking you into prison, into debtor's prison, and you ought to stay there till you pay the last penny. And uh, the guy says, no, no, give me a chance. Give me, just give me a chance to pay it off. Now, here's the thing. The master doesn't say, all right, I give you a chance to pay it off. The master says, all right, I forgive the debt. I forgive the debt. It's, it's gone. That's it. For no other reason than that, that's who I am. So the servant goes out and he finds his friend. His friend owes him a 100 denarii. A uh, hundred denarii was about a third of a year's wages, which means for you roughly fifty, sixty thousand dollars 60000 See, I was looking who laughed and who didn't. <laughs> never, never mind. But anyway, it's about a, a, you know, a third of a year's wages. And uh, um, uh, he goes up to him and he says, look, you know, you owe me you know, a couple of thousand dollars. The guy says, well, I don't have it on me right now. Just be patient. I'll pay it off. He says, no, nope, not going to do it. Throws him in jail. Throws him in jail, and the other servants run to the master and they say, "Master, you know that guy you forgave six million dollars? He just threw his friend in for a couple of thousand dollars." The master calls in the first servant. He says, "Now, what this you've done?" He says, "You know, didn't I forgive you an astronomical debt that you could never repay?" Then he says, "This, you ought to have forgiven your friend. You ought to have forgiven your friend. Why?" Because when you forgive your friend, here's how you're going to do it. Buddy, I forgive you, but let me tell you why I forgive you. I forgive you because our master forgave me. And our master is wonderful. Our master is is, is just marvelous. Our master is forgiving like you wouldn't believe. Our master is the greatest master of all. Our master is worthy of praise and obedience and adoration. Our master is really something. Why, I want to brag on my master. You just sit there and let me tell you how wonderful the master is. He called me in, but he forgave me everything that I owed him. And I'm forgiving you not because I'm, I'm a great person. I'm forgiving you because The master is a great person. You see, he could have forgiven his friend and bragged on his master the whole time. And when you love somebody that doesn't deserve to be loved and you forgive somebody who's wronged you, I don't know how many times, and when you show mercy where mercy is not merited, when you act a little bit like Jesus, you're bragging on our Father in heaven and people get to say how wonderful God is because look what he could do to a person to make them love me and forgive me that way. See, that's why we have a debt to owe, a debt of love that we owe to other people. It's because God loved us first. And that love has transformed us in Jesus Christ. And when we love, we reflect the Father and we hold him up for praise and adoration. And people see how wonderful, how gloriously wonderful our God is so you see this isn't something that's just optional now this isn't just something buried in the back pages of one of the books of the New Testament and you know there it is No, this goes to the heart and the core of what it means to know God and be loved by him and to experience his grace through Jesus Christ it means that when, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life you start doing nutty things like loving people loving people in a way the world can't understand so don't Don't owe nobody nothing. You just pay that debt of love. You just love them just a little bit the way God has loved you, just a little bit. Now, my challenge to you this week is really very, very simple. I want you to love certain people. I want you to love the children who are going to be in Vacation Bible School this week, okay? You got this thing? I I don't wear these things. I'm going to this week, okay? There it is. Oh. (laughs) Debbie had cut off the circulation. <laughs> anyway, but I want you to think about those kids and pray that the love of God would be made known to them. Pray for our, our vacation Bible school workers, that the Holy Spirit would work in them, that the love of God the Father would be seen in them as they, as they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at that, and then every time you see that, be, also be reminded how much God loved you. you. know, And maybe this week you'll run into somebody and you'll start to say, not the boss of me. And then you'll remember that's right. He's your Savior. He's your Master. He's your Lord. He's your King. Let's bow together in prayer. And gracious Father in heaven, it just amazes us. It's beyond us how you could love us, but you do. And a love that went into action and suffered in our place, Father, we're just overwhelmed. And so I pray your love for us would be kept before us and that we would share that love in word, but, Father, especially in deed, that as we love those around us, your love would be made known. You would receive the glory and the praise, and you would be honored. Father, I ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.